Thank you for joining us for this week's message from the First Christian Church in Great Bend, Kansas. Each week we share thought-provoking and life-changing teachings on topics that are important and relevant to you in your life. We hope that you will be encouraged by our weekly podcast and will tune in regularly. Now let's join the First Christian Church of Great Bend for this week's message. So today we are in week two of our sermon series called After God's Own Heart. And remember what we're doing in this series is walking through the incredible and even magnificent life of the great King David. To not only see what this incredible man of God has to teach us about how to live our own lives, but also to see what he has to teach us about how not to live. Because the truth is when it comes to the story of David... This is not a fairy tale about a perfect man who did everything right. And so God was able to use him because he had it all figured out. No, instead, this is a story about a man who, even though he was a bit of a dirtbag, God was able to use him to transform and save the world, which should make you feel good about yourselves because I know we've, we've all been some dirtbags on occasion. And can I get a show of hands from some dirtbags out there? Okay, good. Just, just seeing which one of you is a liar or not. So last week, what we discovered as we opened up this series is that because King Saul seemed to be more concerned with his reputation and his success than following the commands of God, that God early on in Saul's reign as the first king of Israel, he gets rejected. And the way that God does this rejection is by sending out the great prophet Samuel to find and anoint this ruddy little shepherd boy named David. And what's so surprising about this anointing is you have to remember that David was probably 10 to 15 years old when he was anointed. No one would have chosen this guy. Uh, it's It's just the way it is. Then what you also need to keep in mind regarding David's rise to power is that even though David was called as a young boy, it's actually the case that David doesn't come to power right away, but it takes him 10, excuse me, 15 to 20 years before he comes to power. Or David... No, wasn't just chosen and then right away becomes the king like some kind of fairy tale thing, right? But instead it took him 15 to 20 years to come to power. Which means what we find after David's anointing in chapter 16 of 1 Samuel is that there are 16 more chapters in the book of 1 Samuel and a couple more in um, 2 Samuel that in a sense show us who David is and what he is made of. And some of these stories are fantastic. Some of these stories are a little scandalous. But the most famous of these stories is David and Goliath. So how many of you haven't heard this story before? Anybody? So I think everybody's heard this story at least 700 times in their life. I just think it's one of those things. How many of you guys love this story? Yeah, okay. So that's what we're going to get into today uh, and kind of wrestle with What's going on in this story? So it begins in 1 Samuel 17, 1 through 3. Now, the Philistines gathered their army for battle. They were gathered at Sukkoth, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Sukkoth and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and formed ranks against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with the valley between them. Or What we've got going on here is that these longtime enemies of the Israelites, the Philistines, have come out for battle once again. And what the Philistines are trying to do is they're trying to conquer and subdue and rule over the Israelite people. So, of course, in response to that, what does King Saul do? He brings the army together and says, hey, you're not going to be doing that to us today. 
And then what I love about the picture that this, the scripture gives us here is that before this battle begins, up on one side of the valley, up on a mountain, you have the Philistines all lined up and ready to go. Then on the other side, up on another mountain, you have the Israelites all lined up ready to go. And the expectation is that as soon as the commanders give voice to it's time to attack, they'll both descend down into the valley and, and kind of have this epic hand-to-hand battle to prove which nation is better. Or at least that's how it's supposed to work, right? That's how it usually works out in the ancient world. But the Philistines, they throw a curveball here. They do something a little different. They do this. There came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head and was armed with a coat of mail. The weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. He had greaves of bronze on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his spearhead weighed 600 shekels of iron and his shield bearer went before him. Or as you can see, this guy is quite impressive. And then he does this. He stood and shouted at the ranks of the Israelites. Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. Or or apparently what's going on is that the Philistines, instead of sending their army out to attack like is normally done, they have sent out the biggest, baddest dude they've got to propose a winner-take-all death match. Goliath explains it in this way. He says, if he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, today I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man that we may fight together. And I love this picture. Absolutely love this picture. This huge gargantuan man who's standing out in front of this entire army and he is doing nothing but a bunch of trash talk. Nothing but a bunch of trash talk calling these guys out. Come on, who, 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 is there anybody who can take me on? Now, the reason the Philistines are willing to do this in the first place is because they believe they have a warrior that can't be beat. And on paper, it looks like they're right, right? It's estimated That, or excuse me, six cubits in a span is about nine foot six inches tall. Nine foot six inches tall. That's right. It says that Goliath was over nine feet tall. Now, there's some discussion about that and how to interpret the Hebrew and all that stuff. But we're going with nine foot six on that deal. Then it's estimated that his helmet of bronze probably weighed somewhere around 30 pounds. And to give you a gist of what 30 pounds is about, I want you guys to think of my daughter who weighs right around 30 pounds. Not the big one. She's a little heavier than that. The little one. And imagine wearing her on your head going out to battle. Then the coat or the the armor that he wore around his torso weighed about 150 pounds. And what that would be would be like me jumping on your back and you going out to battle. Now, I weigh a little more than 150 pounds, but close enough to call it. You guys kind of get what's going on here. But the most impressive part of this giant is that his spearhead or the tip of his spear weighed almost 30 pounds or the very instrument that he would take off his back to hurl long distances to impale his enemies weighed as much as two heavy bowling balls. Just take a moment and try to imagine throwing a bowling ball. Now try imagine something that weighed as much as two heavy bowling balls. And that's the thing he took off his back and threw at other people. 
Or to put this into perspective for you in the best way that I know how, and I, I rack my brain for this example, this would be like one of us sitting here today being called out by the great Andre the Giant of WWF fame. Seven foot four, 500 pounds to a no-holds-barred cage match where the winner takes all. But even more terrifying than that, because this is life or death, right? This is a, someone's walking in, two people are walking in and only one's walking out. And Goliath is actually bigger than Andre the Giant. So please tell me you guys remember Andre the Giant. What about the kids? The kids know who Andre the Giant is. Okay, good. He's kind of a big, he's, he was kind of a big deal, no doubt about that. So, of course, when King Saul and the Israelites not only see but hear this gargantuan man standing out there in front making this challenge, what do they do? They cower in fear. And the reason they cower in fear is because they believe facing a warrior like this is certain death. And no one wants to die, let alone be responsible for all of your people becoming slaves. Because notice, whoever loses this battle is not only going to be dead, but going to be known as the guy who ruined it for everybody. But just when it seems like all hope is lost, we find this story taking a strange turn away from the battlefield where the action is to tell us a bit more about this David kid and what he's up to. It says this, Now David was the son of a Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three eldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle. The name of these three sons who went to battle were Eliab the firstborn, the next to him Amenadab, and the third Shemaiah. David was the youngest of the three eldest follow, uh, the three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Jesse then said to his son David, Take for your brother an Ephah, of this parched grain and these 10 loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these 10 cheeses to the commander of their thousands. See how your brothers fare and bring some token from them. Or as you guys can see, all David is doing as his three oldest brothers are off fighting against the Philistines is because he's not old enough to be in the army. That's the reason he's not out there. He's not old enough to be in the army at this point is his father's kind of sending him back and forth to run errands. Hey, you need to take care of the sheep, but you also need to make sure that your brothers are doing okay. So back and forth, David would go during all of this. But as luck would happen, or as God ordained it, it just so happens that one of the times that David shows up, that Goliath steps out into the valley to make one of his daily challenges. Something he does twice a day. One time in the morning and one time in the evening. Which, by the way, are challenges that he has made for the last 60 days with no takers. And you know what? This ruddy little 10 to 15 year old boy hears this. And is not scared like everyone else. But thinks to himself, I got this. I can do this. Right, and starts to tell some other people in the camp. And then because David is the only one who is even considering doing this, he immediately goes before King Saul so they can kind of talk things over. So we can kind of, all right, you're going to be the official guy who represents us. So it says this, David said to Saul, let no one's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. To which Saul responds, and you can't blame Saul for saying this. You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are just a boy and he has been a warrior from his youth. Or... David, you must be out of your mind to think that you would even have a chance against a guy like this. 
I mean, he has been a warrior from his youth. This is all he has ever known. He has never been defeated. How do you think that, that you can go out and beat this guy? But without hesitation, David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And whenever a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went after it and struck it down. Did you hear that? A lion or a bear came along, stole a sheep, and instead of letting that sheep go, like the rest of us would do or should do, he takes off after the lion and bear. And then it says, rescuing the lamb from its mouth. If it turned against me, I would catch it by the jaw and strike it down and kill it. Your servant has killed both lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them since he has defiled the armies of the living God. The Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will save me from this Philistine. Can you imagine having that conversation with a kid and you're the king on that deal? Let's put this into context, right? Right. You took out a bear with your bare hands. And you got to put this into context. It sounds a little strange. So Saul said to David, go and may the Lord be with you. And what I think Saul means by go and may the Lord be with you is, hey, I got nobody else who's going to do this. No one else is as dumb as you are. So we're going to send you out and see what happens. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the wadi and put them in the shepherd's bag in the pouch. His sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. Or no! There was nothing but a stick and a couple of rocks in his pocket, along with the slingshot in his hand. This ruddy little kid walks down the mountain out into the valley to take on this huge giant. And again, for some perspective on this, you have one army up on a mountain over here. Then you have another army up on a mountain over here. And out in front of this army, there's this giant nine foot six inch tall man who's standing there waiting. And then you have this 10 to 15 year old he doesn't have any armor or anything like that on. He walks out. And he is the representative of Israel. He is the best that Israel has to offer. Are you seeing it? Who's giving David a chance at this point? Nobody. Not even these guys. These guys are just watching to see how long this thing's going to last and getting ready to take off running because they know when he goes down, there's going to be a fight. All right? When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. Or in other words, he despised him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. The Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? Am I a dog that you come at me at sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the wild animals of the field. Which again is really nothing more than Goliath participating in this ancient form of Trash talk. Saying something like, David, you're so weak and small. Taking you out is going to be like rocking a baby to sleep. I got this. This is not a big deal. To which David responds with a bit of trash talk on his own, right? You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defiled. This very day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the Philistines army this very day to the birds of the air and the wild animals of the earth, so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not save by sword and by spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he 
will give you into our hands. Or, or you know what, Goliath? You might be the biggest, baddest dude around, but you ain't nothing compared to my God. And what my God is about to do is he's about to use me, this little skinny, dorky looking guy, to not only take you out, but to take out all your friends standing behind you. Because that's how big my God really is. The battle begins. When the Philistine drew near to meet David, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, and he slung it. Now remember, slingshots back then weren't like this, where you pull it back and flip it. They were spun around like this, and so he's spinning it, and he does one of these things. And I don't know if you guys have ever tried to do that before, but that is a difficult thing to hit anything small, right? So he, he slung it, and so everybody in a moment is like, oh no, here we go. This is going to be awesome. We'll see how fast this kid goes down. And it stuck the Philistine on the forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead. And he fell. This giant of a man fell face down on the ground. Or in a shocking turn of events, this unbeatable warrior that no one else was willing to face is dropped in the first couple of seconds of the first round by a rock to the forehead. And can you imagine the silence on both sides? Right, everybody's pumped up. You hear the, the armies, you know, talking trash and all that kind of stuff. And the giant goes down in the first couple of seconds of the first couple of rounds and everybody's just like, just nothing. But then to make sure that this giant doesn't get back up, what does David do? David ran and stood over the Philistine. He grasped his sword, drew it out of its sheath, and he killed him. Then he cut his head off with it. But not only did David take out the giant, it's also the case that as soon as everyone saw that Goliath was dead, that they actually took this guy out, everybody in the Israelite army emboldened take off after the Philistines, and so they take the rest of them out as well. Just as David predicted it would happen in his little trash-talking moment there with Goliath in the beginning, and the crowd goes wild. Because <sighs> we all love the underdog story, don't we? We all love when the person who you look at and they don't seem to have a chance, they're the ones who end up winning. It gives us hope. Because oftentimes that's not the way it works out in our own lives. Now, truth is, I know that most of you have heard this story probably a hundred times in your life. And truth is, you guys get the basic gist of, of what this story's all about. You know, um, the little guy overcoming the big guy. But... While keeping all of that in mind, all that stuff that you've learned before, way back to Sunday school, let me just add this. Let me just add this. What I think this amazing story continues to teach us today is that if we want to be the kind of people who do the impossible, beat the odds, or live into those lives that truly transform the world, then like David, we have to become the kind of people who realize that we can't do the impossible on our own, but can do absolutely anything God calls us to do with God's help. Again, because I think it really needs to sink in. If we want to become the kind of people who do the impossible, overcome all the odds, or live into lives that transform the world, 
then like David, what we have to become is the kind of people who realize that we can't do the impossible on our own. In fact, we can't do a whole lot of things on our own, but can do absolutely anything that God calls us to do with God's help. Because ultimately what this story is about is not what you and I can accomplish on our own by the power of our own hands, or it's not about what David could accomplish on his own. No, what this story is all about is what God can accomplish through us if we'll just learn to trust and follow. Yeah. That's pretty good news, isn't it? So what I would like to encourage all of you to do as you go back out into your life with this story running through your mind again is to stop looking at all those impossibilities and mountains and giants as things that you can't overcome or as things that are ruling your life. Because let's be honest, right now most of us have some giants in our lives that are giving us a horrible time. But instead to see them as opportunities for God to use you to do the impossible. For God to use you to slay a giant. Because if God can use a ruddy little shepherd boy, not only to kill a giant, but to take out an entire army, then I'm pretty sure God can, over, God can use you to overcome those giants that you might be facing at this moment as well. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, and the truth is, is we love this story. We love where the little guy wins. We love... The Cinderella story, the underdog story where the person that is not supposed to win actually wins. But help us to see in this story, Lord, you know, not just something, not just some theme that we like, but instead uh, the truth that when it comes to overcoming, when it comes to facing giants, when it comes uh, to being up against it, that we really can't do the impossible without you. But we can do absolutely anything if you've called us to do it. Or we can overcome anything because you are with us. Or help us, Lord, not only to see this truth today, but help us to go live it every single day as a people who truly are devoted to you by allowing you to use us to do the impossible, to slay giants every single day. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. You are invited back next week for another life-changing message from the First Christian Church of Great Bend, Kansas. Please check out our website at www.fccgbk.com. That's fccgbk.com. May you have a blessed week. Oh,